Wednesday night, seven o'clock, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the Bible. We don't skip a verse. And we're in that book, Jeremiah, a long book. Um, some would say it's the second longest book in the Bible. Others say, no, Isaiah is longer. Isaiah is longer if you count you know, chapters, but if you're counting words, Jeremiah is longer. It's a long book and it's a, it's a brutal book. Um, some people say, bro, let's hurry up. Uh, Jeremiah is kind of brutal. But I find Jeremiah to be packed full of lessons that we are to learn. Maybe that's why Jesus quoted Jeremiah more than any of the other prophets. Um, because there's so much that's pertinent uh, and even for today. And so we're gonna take a look and, and see. Um, but I need to catch you Sunday morning folks up that weren't here on Wednesday night. Because on Wednesday night, we saw somewhat of a narrative that was really quite, um, quite interesting to watch poor Jeremiah and his ministry. Man, I'm glad I wasn't Jeremiah. I mean, ministry can be difficult, but Jeremiah, man, every time I read Jeremiah, I'm like, Lord, thank you for giving me Athey Creekers. Uh, the people of Jeremiah's time, uh, I think I would have lost my marbles. Uh, and I might even have punched, punched a few congregants. I'm serious. If I were Jeremiah, you know, they punched him, I'd punch back. I mean, I don't know. I just, I know that's not pastoral, nor is it Christian. Um, I might try to twist the Bible and say, well, there's the laying on of hands uh, <laughs> of, of people, uh, right? Uh, no, Jeremiah impresses me as a minister. He doesn't lose patience, you know, with... Um, with these, these, uh, these people, um, uh, but he just speaks the truth boldly. So what happened? Well, if you turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 42, we're gonna, we're gonna take a look at these two chapters this morning. And it's not our normal practice to take so much scripture on a Sunday morning. Wednesday, we cover chapters and chapters, but, but um, you know, I don't apologize for reading through passages of chapters. You know, Paul told young Timothy, give attendance to the reading of scripture in church there in First uh, Timothy. And I, I think it's important that you and I spend time reading scripture because that really matters. So we're gonna do that. We're gonna cover some ground uh, this morning as we're uh, looking at Jeremiah. But before we start in chapter 42, I need to get you up to speed uh, of what was happening. Um, if you remember last Sunday, we talked about, well, the, it was time to face the music. Jeremiah had been prophesying for 40 long years. The people didn't listen to a word Jeremiah said. But everything Jeremiah had prophesied had come to pass. The Babylonians were getting ready to crush Jerusalem. Um, and this would be the third wave. Um, and each of the first two waves were kind of like, the, this is the way it went down. The Babylonians would come, surround Jerusalem, and they'd say, okay, we surrender, and we'll be good Babylonian citizens, and we'll pay taxes, and we'll be a vassal state of Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, all right, that's all right. So they all went home. But then after a few years, the Jews said, yeah, we don't like paying taxes and we don't like following the Babylonians. And then the Babylonians would come, the second wave. This time they killed some people and dragged a few people off into captivity. And they said, okay, 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 we'll, be, we'll follow you, Babylon, we'll do it. Um, by this time, Jeremiah is saying, the next time this happens, you should surrender to Babylon. And uh, even if you're taken off into captivity, otherwise you're gonna be slain on the hills of Jerusalem and your bodies are gonna lie in the hills and birds are gonna pluck the flesh off your bones. Like this was the message of Jeremiah. So they punched him in the face and threw him in a dungeon in prison. And we saw that. But it's chapter 39 last week where we saw the, the moment of truth. The Babylonians came under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar and all the fancy Babylonian princes came marching in in their regal robes and, 
and uh, as they were just slaying Jews, women and children, and just, just conquering and crushing. The temple crushed, the wall of Jerusalem crushed, and almost everybody's killed, but they did line up some people and they were getting ready to march them off to be captives, prisoners, uh, and live in Babylon. Uh, so Jeremiah was numbered among these people. There's Jeremiah leaving Jerusalem in chains with the rest of the people. But Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon said, this little dude you found here in prison, this prophet, let's let him go. He can go free and do whatever he wants and do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> That's what Nebuchadnezzar said about Jeremiah. So Nebuchadnezzar, a different guy, he was the commander of the Babylonian army army, um, Nebuchadnezzar, he came over and said, okay, we're gonna let you go. Do you know why this has happened to you? This guy says to Jeremiah, he says, it's because you guys have forsaken your God and disobeyed him. And in my mind, I'm thinking, is Jeremiah going, no, duh. <laughs> like he's been saying that for 40 years and this guy's preaching to Jeremiah, you guys blew it, you know? Um, so Jeremiah's just listening to this guy sort of preach at him. And then he says, listen, I like you. Nebuchadnezzar Adan says to, to Jeremiah, he says, tell you what, you come with me to Babylon. We're taking all these people captive. You come and live with me. I live large there in Babylon. I'm the captain of the army. I have a large house. I've, I'm, I'm prosperous. Come live with me and I'll take good care of you. Or you can stay here, do whatever you want. But if you come with me, you'll live large, man. Now, if I were Jeremiah, I'd be tempted. You know, forsake the muddy dungeon in Jerusalem and being punched in the face all the time or live in Babylon in luxury and safety. But you guessed it, Jeremiah said, nope, I'm gonna stay here in Jerusalem. So J Jeremiah stays back. Now there were a few others that got to stay back in Jerusalem. If you recall in our story, the Babylonians, as they were dragging off captives, they did leave a very small group of people. Who were they? The poorest of the poor, the homeless, and the people that were just totally stricken in poverty. And this is what they said. You guys move into all the houses, farm the lands, eat the cheese and drink the wine, but we'll, you, you pay us taxes and we'll let you have these houses. It'd be like if say, you know, Vladimir Putin just attacked Oregon and took it over, conquered Oregon. And uh, we were all dragged off into captivity into Moscow. And then Putin says, by the way, all you guys up in the little tents in Portland, all you guys with the, you know, the tents and the trash everywhere, you guys move out of those and you get to move into the houses by Lake Oswego, right on the lake. These boats, they're yours. Uh, and you guys get to live here and take over. As long as you're subservient to Babylon and all the poor people are like, cool. And they moved into all the fancy houses with the vineyards and all that stuff. Um, and it was all the poor people. But you say, Brett, they're not motivated. Well, the Babylonians said, yeah, but you gotta farm the land. And if you don't pay your taxes, We'll kill you. So a little motivation for these people. So there it is, Jeremiah, with all these people that were homeless, now living in the houses. But there was a guy, one of the Jews, and we're not sure how he survived all this, but we met him before. His name was Gedaliah. I call him Gedalipha. Because he was sort of a loser, to say the least. But Gedaliah was a guy who Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, you over there, you're in charge of everything here and you'll serve the Babylonians, but you're in charge. So Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar, they all leave back to Babylon and they leave Gedaliah in charge. And Jeremiah's there with a bunch of people who moved into the houses. Are you still with me? Everything was going along fine until this dude moved in, a guy by the name of Ishmael. Now that should be a red alert for the Jews there, Ishmael. Now this wasn't the Ishmael of Abraham and Isaac uh, and Ishmael. There wasn't, it was hundreds and hundreds of years later. 
But, um, but this Ishmael was a guy who was an Ammonite from the land of Ammon. It's the same place today we call Ammon, uh, Jordan. Um, that's where this guy was from. And he came and just said, hey, I wanna hang with you guys here in Jerusalem. Now, Johanan was a guy who was kind of like a security officer, a Jewish guy who was a security officer. He, he told Gedaliah, dude, this guy, um, you know, we should watch out for this guy who, whose name is Ishmael. I've heard that he wants to kill you, Gedaliah. Gedaliah, not, not Ishmael, we're bros, man. We hang out, we like to eat food together. Remember this story? We just hang out, it's all good. Well, as it turns out, Johanan was right. Gedaliah was wrong. And Johanan had these 10 soldiers. They were like, you know, SEAL Team 6 guys that were just kind of there acting like they were friends of the Jews, but they were coming to, to score, you know, uh, goods and, and gold and, and take slaves off back to Ammon. That was their plan. So they slaughtered Gedaliah and they killed a bunch of the Jews, the few poverty stricken Jews that were there uh, in all the rubble of Jerusalem. They killed most of them, but took a few. Jeremiah, remember Jeremiah's scribe's name was Baruch. He was taken along with some of the daughters of the King Zedekiah who was killed. Um, there's just a small, tiny group of people left. Well, these people from Ammon, led by Ish, Ishmael, they chain them up and start taking them off to Ammon. Man, things are looking bad. Well, the one guy that escaped was that guy that tried to warn Gedaliah. remember? Johanan, this guy who was sort of the security guard guy. He, he, he realized, man, we gotta get out of town. And so he got out of town and he put a little army together of people and went to rescue the Jews from Ishmael who was headed to the Ammonites' land. When the Jews saw Johanan, they thought, oh, we're saved, thank the Lord. And so sure enough, Johanan killed the enemy soldiers with the exception of Ishmael. Ishmael got away and ran off uh, afraid into Ammon. And that's the last we hear of him. And so now there they are, the Jews standing there with Johanan and they're wiped out, they're tired, they're poor, Jerusalem's total dust and their leader, Gedaliah, is dead. And what are you gonna do now? You see, they're in a real predicament because really Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuzaradan left with these words, you guys just do your thing, Gedaliah, you're the leader. Everybody follow Gedaliah. Don't twitch even wrong or else we'll come and crush you all and kill you. We're being gracious and letting you all live. So, so now the Jews are totally freaked out, totally afraid, why? Because they're sure that when Nebuzaradan or Nebuchadnezzar comes back to see how things are going, they're gonna find the leader that they left in charge dead, fewer people, and they're all just there doing what? And who's responsible for Gedaliah's death? They could say, well, this guy Ishmael from Ammon, but would Nebi believe that? So they were freaked out and they didn't know what to do. Stricken with fear. When we read chapter 42 here, this is where we're gonna pick up the story. But I want you to observe with me how many times it says that they were afraid and why they were doing what they were doing. It's because of great fear. Let's check it out. It's Jeremiah chapter 42, verse one is where we pick up our story. Then all the captains of the forces of Johanan, that's the security guy that saved them, the son of Korea and Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least even to the greatest came near. They all gathered up, said, what are we gonna do? They said to Jeremiah, verse two, the prophet, let we beseech thee our supplication be accepted before thee and pray for us unto the Lord thy God even for all this remnant, for we are left but a few of many as thine eyes do behold us. 
that the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk and the thing that we may do. Then Jeremiah the prophet said unto them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray unto the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall come to pass that whatsoever thing the Lord shall answer you, I will declare it unto you. I will keep nothing back from you. Now pause for a second. Here we got these people saying, Jeremiah, we're toast, man. Would you pray to your God? Did you see that? They said, pray to your God, thy God, for all of us. This little remnant that you see here. Um, and Jeremiah says, I will pray to your God. See, Jeremiah's correcting them already. He said, uh, he's not just my God, believe it or not, he's your God too. And he says, listen, I will do this and I will not, I love this, this last part of verse four, I will declare or keep nothing back from you. I love Jeremiah's boldness. I think he's setting the stage because he knows this people, they're a bunch of rascals and they're not really good at listening to the word of the Lord. So he says, I'm, gonna hold, I'm not gonna hold it back. I'm gonna, it reminds me of what Paul the apostle said in Acts chapter 20, when he was talking to the elders of the church of Ephesus, he said, I have kept nothing back from you that was profitable. And listen, Christians, I think we need to be the same way. I know it might seem brash or a little overbold or even sometimes misconstrued as arrogant or prideful, but we should hold nothing back. We should speak the truth. Jeremiah was a guy who spoke the word of God, even when it wasn't popular, even when it wasn't liked. I love Jeremiah's boldness. Oh, we need more bold Christians today. The wicked flee when no one's chasing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion, the Bible says. Jeremiah was that guy. So he says, okay, I'm gonna go seek the Lord for you guys, but I'm gonna tell you everything he tells me. Well, listen to what the people say, verse five. Then they said to Jeremiah, the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us. If we do not even according to all the things which the Lord thy God shall send thee to us, whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send thee that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Now, question, do you think Jeremiah's holding his breath here? Oh, they might actually listen to me for once. Well, I think you'll get a sense in this chapter of what Jeremiah thinks. Oh yes, we will obey you, Jeremiah. Everything you say, be, God be witness between us and you. If we don't do what you tell us to do, man, we're in. So verse seven, it came to pass after 10 days that the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah and then called Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces which were with him, and all the people from the least even to the greatest. And he said unto them, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, unto whom you sent me to present your supplication before him. Notice it took Jeremiah 10 days of seeking the Lord. I worry sometimes that you and I, we get frustrated at 10 minutes. Lord, I've been seeking you for 10 minutes. Come on, where's the answer? I need answers now. Here's 10 days. Daniel sought the Lord for 21 days before the Lord showed up and spoke one of the most powerful prophecies in all the Bible. Um, sometimes seeking the Lord can take even years. Don't be easily tired. I love that Jeremiah, in a time of real urgency, spends 10 days. Well, finally, um, you know, after that 10 days, verse 10, um, Jeremiah finally says, here's what you're supposed to do, verse 10. If you will still abide in this land, then I will build you and I will not pull you down and I will plant you and not pluck you up for I repent me of the evil that I have done unto you. Be not afraid of the king of Babylon whom you are afraid. Be not afraid of him, saith the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. 
and I will show mercies unto you that he may have mercy upon you and cause you to return to your land, your own land. Don't be afraid, you guys. I will protect you, the Lord says. Plant and I will grow gardens. Build and I'll be with you. And Nebuchadnezzar will be merciful because I'm merciful, the Lord says. Man, that's a good word. What is their only other option? Well, as it turns out, their only other option is to run for their lives and there's only one place to run to. You know, all the other nations around there had been pretty much crushed by the Babylonians or they were still enemies of Israel. So these Jews really had nowhere to go except for one place, as it turns out, Egypt. The Egyptians hadn't yet been conquered by the Babylonians. And that was kind of option two. They were thinking, man, we could either stay here um, and risk being crushed by Nebuchadnezzar, or we can run to Egypt and live for the Egyptians and we can walk like an Egyptian, talk like an Egyptian, it'll be great, we'll be saved. Well, here's what the Lord says. The Lord says, no, stay here, but, verse 13, but if you say we will not dwell in this land, neither obey the voice of the Lord your God, saying no, but we will go into the land of Egypt where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of a trumpet, nor have hunger of bread, there we will dwell. And now therefore hear the word of the Lord, you remnant of Judah, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you wholly set your faces to enter into Egypt and go and sojourn there, then it shall come to pass that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. In the famine thereof which you are afraid, it'll follow close after you there in Egypt, and there ye shall die. So it shall be with all the men that set their faces to go to Egypt, to sojourn there. They shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape from the evil that I will bring upon them. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as mine anger and my fury hath been poured forth upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so shall my fury be poured forth upon you when you shall enter into Egypt. And you shall be an execration, an astonishment, and a curse, and a reproach, and you shall see this place no more. The Lord hath said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, go ye not into Egypt, no certainly, that I have admonished you this day. Can Jeremiah be any more clear? He said it over, don't go to Egypt. If you go to Egypt, you're gonna die. Let me say it again, did I stutter? Go, stay here, do not go to Egypt, over and over. And then, do you understand, Jeremiah is doubtful. You can see his doubtfulness about these people because he goes on. For verse 20, he says, you dissembled in your hearts when you sent me to, uh, unto the Lord your God, saying, pray for us unto the Lord our God, according to all that the Lord the God, uh, our God shall say, so declare unto us, and we will do it. Jeremiah's reminding them of their promise. And now I have this day declared it unto you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God, nor anything for which he hath sent me to, unto you. Now therefore know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by famine and by the pestilence in the place, whether you desire and to, to, uh, to go and to sojourn. It seems that Jeremiah senses already that they already kind of had their minds made up. Oh, seek the Lord, Jeremiah, and we'll follow you. And Jeremiah says, I know you're afraid. And the Lord recognizes that you're afraid, but trust in the Lord. Stay here in the land and I'll bless you. But if you go to Egypt, you're toast. You're gonna be crushed by Nebuchadnezzar. The very sword that you're running from is the very sword that's gonna kill you. Isn't that interesting? You know, fear is a funny thing. Fear makes people do things 
that are really kind of stupid. It reminds me of a, the African lion. I learned this on Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom when I was a kid. Anybody old enough to remember Marlon Perkins? It was great, man. See, Mar see Jim, run from the Jaguar. Like Marlon was always in the safe place and Jim was always out there almost dead. Um, but I remember seeing one episode where there was the, the lions and the lionesses. And the way that they hunted was brilliant. What they would do, these lions are super smart. The old lion had lost all his teeth. He was still big and knew how to roar really good. And he was very intimidating looking. But as it turns out, his teeth were gone. And he was sort of just kind of this big roaring lion. And um, he, would, he would go on one side of the field where these little gazelles prancing around, eating their little food. They're cute little gazelles. They're just chewing their cud. And there they were. And the big roaring lion would stick up his head. And these gazelles would, and they just peer super fast. And they just take off the opposite direction. Meanwhile, the lionesses, which were actually tough, brave, and more ferocious than the old lion, they're there with their mouths open on this side of the field, just waiting for the gazelles to run right in, uh, where they'd crush the necks of the gazelles. And then on, back in those days, they used to, you'd see the lion carrying the bloody gazelle around and you'd be like, oh, poor little gazelle. Well, the Bible says this. Um, did you know that the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? I think the same old trick is happening with the devil. The devil raises his ugly head and roars and we freak out and we go the opposite direction. Here's these people, they're totally freaked out because of the Babylonians. And you might even say, man, there's a big roar from Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And so they wanna to run to Egypt, the opposite direction. The Lord says, no, I want you to stay right here. But because of their fear, they have this proclivity to go in the direction that they shouldn't be going. And they really wanna do that. But they say, we're gonna seek the Lord through Jeremiah. Jeremiah, pray and tell us. And Jeremiah prays 10 days and says, okay, stay here. Do not, whatever you do, don't go to Egypt. Listen, the Bible says that you and I as Christians are not to be given over to a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. You see, I'm concerned that we are driven so much by fear today. We're afraid of everything. I saw, we've seen it coming. We've become a fearful bunch. I remember when the United States used to be land of the free and home of the brave. Now it's land of the fearful and home of the timid. As we are in total fear for our lives, it's amazing watching, you know, some of the news people condescending. Now make sure um, and don't drive. Why? Because snowmageddon. Have you seen it coming? There's an inch of snow on the ground and we're all gonna die. Stay home or else you're killing people. So we live in fear of staying home. At Athey Creek, man, when it snows, I was like, let's do a service. <laughs> Get as many people here as we can. It's awesome. And we'll spin Brody cookies in the parking lot. It'll be great. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's a different day now. When I was a kid, our dashboard, my mom and dad's dashboard was metal. It wasn't the soft, foamy stuff they have now. So that when you crashed, you'd die. <laughs> um, now, we got all these airbags and everything. And now when, it, you know, if a minivan gets in a wreck, it's like a bounce house toy. You know, it's like, kids are like, oh, this is great. Um, you know, it's amazing. And, and, and you know, we, we're, we're all, in, you know, and I'm all for a helmet. I, you know, I, I do motocross and I wear a helmet. Um, but when I was a kid, I still laugh. We rode dirt bikes a lot without helmets. I was like, probably not that smart. Um, but like, it's so funny where we've become so fearful that, you know, I, I remember uh, one time I went to a doctor and they said, Brett, you know, you're kind of, you know, you need, you're, you're actually for your size. You're really a healthy guy. And, um, and somehow the doctor found out that I loved motocross. And he said, you know, you got to stop doing that motocross. I'm like, why? 
because it's the most dangerous. We see more motocross injury in here than any other thing. And I just remember this guy trying to tell me to stop riding my dirt bike. And it just felt like, who are you? Like I was offended. Like, I, like I, I, I've never been more offended in my life. It's just so horrible. Um, you know, we can all be really safe. If you don't go anywhere and if you don't do anything and if you wrap yourself in pads and duct tape, man, you'll be really safe, but it's not that fun to be that person. And here we are, 2021, and everybody's still locked down for fear. Boy, there's been a great fear mongering going on and, and I don't get it. I really don't get it. First of all, I've got a statistic that's startling. 10 out of every 10 people die. That's a shocker. And it's funny, you know, I was talking at the Prophecy Update two nights ago. If you missed it, you might wanna listen because we talked about should you be immunized and should Christians take the mark of the beast and get immunized? I said, it's not the mark of the beast. But I did talk about the, the immunization question. But, you know, one of the things about the immunization is, you know, you and I right now as it stands, we have a 99.98% chance of survival of this thing. Isn't that amazing? 99.898%, that's pretty good. Now, you know, if you're listening to Moderna or Pfizer, the, if you get the immunization, you have a 95% chance. <laughs> Why decrease your odds? I'm not sure I understand that. There's a lot of things I don't understand. I don't understand why everybody's telling me there's bodies and death everywhere. Well, maybe there are in other states. And I know, I know there's, I'm not saying coronavirus is not real. Uh, people aren't really sick. I'm not saying that. But um, as it turns out, people die of colds, flu, fever, pneumonia, all the time in, in times past. And I just have a question. I, I, I'm somewhat of an expert in death. And let me tell you why, because I, I do funerals. I've done funerals since I was 19. I was licensed to Marion Barry back when I was 19 years old. And I've done over a thousand weddings. Um, and I've done hundreds and hundreds of funerals. As it turns out, me and my pastoral staff, we have seven pastors here that are just great, great dudes. We were kind of amazed the other day. We were thinking, you know, it's amazing. In the last 11 months, we have not done one funeral for a coronavirus death. You'd think we'd have done one in a church of 6,000 or however many people we have. I don't know, it's growing ever so quickly. But you'd think one, you'd think I would know one person who died of coronavirus. I don't know some of you guys know people, but it's actually a smaller number of you that actually know people that have died. And, and so I kind of think, well, it's, is it really as big of a thing as we really are making it? We've been meeting here with people in the building and I know some of you are new, even maybe today, and you're like, I can't believe I'm here in, in a crowd and we're all gonna die. And, and, you, and it's because you've watched the news and you just know we're gonna die because we're all in a crowd now and we're you know, disobeying the law, which we're not actually. Oregon finally admitted that we have a constitutional right to meet. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a great thing. Praise the Lord for that. Thank the Lord. Um, so as we've been meeting for the last six months, not one coronavirus case has come out of this building. Isn't that amazing? That some, you know, we're supposed to be super spreader. That's, a, that's an interesting word that, what is that word meant to do? Cause fear in people. Oh, the super spreader, Athey Creek. It's funny because if you actually follow all the churches that are opening, they're all doing really well. John MacArthur's been open longer than we have down in LA. And he had a church, uh, you know, uh, that just kind of started piling in. And, and they haven't had one case of coronavirus, even still. One church in California, they were a, a church of, you know, 3,000 3, people or something. Um, and they were one of the only churches that opened. Now they've got 18,000 people piling in there elbow to elbow. 
uh, gathering. And some people, that's irresponsible. They're gonna kill everyone. Well, that's the fearful narrative. And, and I would say that fear has become a new virtue in America. If you're fearful, you're responsible. If you're fearful, you, you're, you're correct because people are dying everywhere and bodies are stacking up at the hospitals in trucks. That's a pretty gory image, isn't it? It's one you hear a lot, but I've yet to see those trucks. I've actually tried to find them. I've heard that they're there, but they're not. And as it turns out, if there are bodies piling up, I'll tell you why, because nobody's doing funerals right now. If they'd let pastors do funerals again, maybe we'd see these coronavirus deaths that are out there that everybody's talking about, how massive, massive death everywhere. But as it turns out, Oregon, even if you do look at the CDC rules and the statistics, you realize, wow, compared to like any of the other pandemics that were real, Spanish flu, black plague, bubonic plague, look at the numbers. Not only was the population much smaller, but the death rates were much higher. And so it was way more of a problem. And you kind of wonder, what, what is the, the thing behind all this fear? We have people that pull into the parking lot on a Sunday, more on Wednesday nights, by the way, because I think a lot of the non-Christians are at home right now, you know, watching the pregame. Um, but, but on Wednesday nights, we have people drive in and they're just, they marvel. You guys are all murderers. Like I said, one guy was here leaning in, taking pictures of the congregation through that window right there. He's trying to take pictures of all the murderers. <laughs> people who just wanted to do a Bible study and... We're all healthy, good. But it's that kind of fear that has driven much of our country right now. And, and, and honestly, what does fear drive you to? Usually the wrong thing. Fear drives you to actually being sinful. Uh, sinful, Brett, that's a pretty strong word. Uh, I think most people don't know what fear or what sin really is, first of all. What, what is sin? A lot of you think that sin, well, sin is bad stuff that you do. Well, it is that, but it's actually kind of more intricate than that. Um, did you know that if you even have a slightly wrong attitude for a half a second, that's called sin? Um, it's, it's amazing um, how much we sin. You might think, well, I sinned last week. So I'm like, no, you probably sinned in the last 10 seconds. You looked at Pastor Brad, and I don't like his cho choosing of clothes. Um, <laughs> that's sin right there. You're judging me. Don't judge. You know, we, we all sin so much and, and, and sin, the, the Greek word for sin is a word that means to miss the bullseye. Anything that's in the bullseye is not sin. Anything outside of that is called sin. So if you're missing what God wants you to do, that's called sin in the Bible. So it's not just murder and adultery. And that's why people get offended when I say this, to be fearful is sinful. Why? Because you're missing what God, does God want you to be fearful? The Bible says, fear not over and over and over again. And it says, we're not to begin over to the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So it's clear the Bible doesn't, Lord doesn't want you to be a fearful person. Yeah, but Brett, I, I, I'm fearful that I might die. Lord doesn't, that's not his best for you. And you shouldn't feel condemned because that's sin, but just realize, well, that's not what God wants for me. And repent and say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna choose to put my trust in you. You see, because I believe fear <clears throat> has driven people to do things that have really been destructive in their lives. Fear is probably one of the great things Satan uses to make people do stuff wrong. This story is the classic example. So let's move on and see what they do. What do you think the people are gonna say here in chapter 43? Are they gonna, is their fear gonna have them, well, we're gonna listen to what God says, or are they gonna follow their fears 
And this story is recorded for thousands of years for people to see and uh, we can learn. Let's take a look. So chapter 43, verse one, it came to pass that when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking unto all the people of the words which the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them, even all these words. Then spake Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, and Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the proud men saying unto Jeremiah, thou speakest falsely. The Lord our God hath not sent thee to say, go not into Egypt to sojourn there. But Baruch, remember Baruch is Jeremiah's scribe, his bro. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, he sits, sets thee on against us for to deliver us in the hand of the Chaldeans that they might put us to death and carry us away captives into Babylon. So Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces and all the people obeyed not the voice of the Lord to dwell in the land of Judah. But Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah that were returned from the, all the nations, whether they had been driven to dwell in the land of Judah, even the men and the women and the children and the king's daughters and every person that Nebuzar Adan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah. So they came into the land of Egypt, for they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Thus they came even to Tapanes. Now, why is Jeremiah going to Egypt with them? Well, we don't know the answer to that. It just says that he went with them, but did they take him by force? That's probably likely. Pretty much every other time, if you recall in the story of Jeremiah, whenever Jeremiah spoke the word of the Lord, they'd punch him in the face and put him in chains, throw him into dungeon. That's the way they treated Jeremiah thus far. So Jeremiah says, don't go to Egypt, stay here, thus saith the Lord. And you said, you guys, you'd listen and you'd do what the Lord says. And the people said, you're a liar, Jeremiah, and we're not gonna follow you. And so likely they chained him up and made Baruch and Jeremiah come with them down to Egypt. Now, there's a possibility that he came on his own will just because he's the prophet of the Jews. And maybe he felt like, I'm gonna stick with these people even if it means death to me. Who knows? But now, there's the Jews at the doorstep of Egypt getting ready to go in, exactly where they're not supposed to be. They're at this place called Tatphanes. And, um, and what are they doing there? Well, this is where the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah to say something else. And uh, bless you. Right on, man. Um, yes, that was a big one. <laughs> Nothing better than a good sneeze. You know what I'm saying? I love a good sneeze. So they, they, they're right at the doorstep of Tophanes. And verse nine, take great stones in thy hand. This is what the Lord's telling Jeremiah. Take great stones in thy hand and hide them in the clay in the brick kiln, which is at the entry of Pharaoh's house at Tophanes in the sight of the men of Judah and say unto them, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, um, the king of Babylon, uh, the servant, and will set his throne upon these stones that I have hid. And he shall spread his royal pavilion over them. And when he cometh, he shall smite the land of Egypt and will uh, deliver such as are dealt, uh, are, are for death to death such as are for captivity to captivity, and such as are for the sword to the sword. And I will kindle a fire in the houses of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them and carry them away captives, and he shall array himself in the land of Egypt as a shepherd puts on his garment, and he shall go forth from thence in peace. 
And he shall break also the images of Bet Shemesh that is in the land of Egypt and the houses of the gods of the Egyptians shall he burn with fire. Now you and I are gonna have a hard time grasping what this probably felt like for these people, but we may have a hard time picturing it, but Jeremiah starts arranging some rocks and putting them in the sand. And, and he says, right here, they're all like, what are you doing, Jeremiah? Well, you see these rocks? This is where, Jer- this is where Nebuchadnezzar's gonna set his throne and they're gonna build his pavilion. What's the pavilion? Well, in ancient times, the Babylonians, like others, would ha- have the king come and they'd make a fancy tent. It was almost like a throne room, a fancy tent. And they would set his throne there and he would sit there and rule as they would get ready to engage in battle. So Jeremiah said, you think you're running from Nebuchadnezzar and you're going to the gods of Egypt to save you? The, you know, the Egyptians, they're gonna save you? Nebuchadnezzar, right, right here is where his throne's gonna sit. Can you imagine when the Babylonians finally came and the Jews see them? Hey, where should we put Nebuchadnezzar's pavilion? Right over here. And they're like, that's where Jeremiah put the stones. Hey, let's put his throne right on the, there's a nice little stone base here. Hey, let's put the throne right there. Right where Jeremiah built this. This is Jeremiah saying, you guys think you're safe, but this is where Nebi's gonna camp out and he's gonna slaughter everyone in Egypt. This is a brutal word and, and it may have stricken fear in the people's hearts. It should have because everything Jeremiah said, which by the way, was God's word, When Jeremiah spoke the word of God, the people didn't listen, but it always came to pass perfectly. Last week, we talked about how the word of God is always true. Now, we talked about chapter 42, the fear that drove them to go to Egypt. In the Bible, for you Bible students, there's a thing we Bible students like to talk about, and that's Bible typology. Where do we get the idea of types in the Bible? Well, it comes from 1 Corinthians 10 where Paul says, don't you understand that the Old Testament is full of stories that are pictures and types? And there's all kinds of good ones. Um, Paul even uses an example there in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, remember the rock that followed them in the wilderness that had the water coming out and they drank of the water? Paul says that rock was Christ. And he says, these things are types or examples. What does he mean? Well, that rock is a beautiful picture of Jesus. How so? They were dying. The rock was smitten, water came out, they drank and they lived. That's what happened with Jesus. Jesus, the rock of our salvation, the rock that we can put our foot on, he was smitten on the cross. And Jesus even said, if you drink of this water that I'll give, you'll never thirst again. Out of your belly will flow torrents of living water if you believe in me. And so really the imagery there is a type. That's what we call types. And there's all kinds of types. Remember the serpent on the pole, the brass serpent that they looked when they got bit by snakes, they'd look at the brass serpent and they'd get healed. And Jesus said, even as Moses lifted the serpent uh, there in the wilderness, so too will the son of man be lifted up on a pole. That's Jesus who became sin, who knew no sin. Like the types are, it makes the Bible come to life. I hope you uh, read your Bible uh, understanding typology. Well, I say all that. Many of you already know, when you talk about Egypt in the Bible, what is Egypt a type of, anybody? The world, worldliness, godlessness. Going to Egypt is sort of a type of going to depend on the world rather than the Lord. This is the same story and it's happened over and over in the Bible. Uh, Egypt is a type of the world and it also equals carnality and sinfulness. That's what Egypt stands for. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about fear. Fear drives us to where we're not supposed to be. 
That's what happens. These people are so freaked out, but they say, well, let's go to Egypt. That, instead of trusting the word of the Lord and, and instead of trusting God, they just said, we're gonna go down to Egypt and we're gonna be there. You know, the, the idea of you know, going to Egypt is I think what happens today with our fears. Today, we're seeing people, instead of turning to the Lord and trusting in his word, they're saying, oh, but we're afraid this coronavirus could kill us. Well, the Bible says, yeah, everybody's gonna die and that's part of the deal. Yeah, but, but what if you die? That's the worst thing in the world, not for a Christian. That's the best day of our life when we go to home to be with the Lord in heaven. Um, hey, you know, we, we, fear has driven us to say, churches have closed down to 2022. Some of them have said, yeah, we're closing to 2022. So rather than believing the word of God, fear has driven them to say, yeah, we're just gonna close down the church. And, and virtual church is just as good. That's what their argument is. And we, we have a really strong virtual church. I, I'm just gonna say it. Our online presence, and we're so happy people are uh, able to use that and we're glad you're with us. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves as is the custom of some. We're supposed to gather. And the Bible says that. <clears throat> and you know, Maybe for a short season, we kind of say, okay, we're gonna see how this pandemic really is, and, but, but the goal is to get back to where we meet. But I'm afraid that this is becoming the new norm and a lot of churches are even, there's even podcasts out there where pastors are being chided saying, you pastors that have opened up, you know, you're putting your people in danger. And so we need to go to the virtual church. That's the new church today. Well, then you're saying you're rejecting what the Bible says. Um, and, if you, and, and it's because of fear. It's such an amazing thing. We see fear lead to just stupid actions. Um, so we need to be praying for the church because uh, I think a lot of us are checking in uh, our faith card and for a fear card instead. Uh, we should not do that. So Egypt, it's a type of the world, it's a type of carnality. And really these people end up here uh, where they're gonna be destroyed, sad to say. And they end up here because of two big mistakes that they make. Um, mistake number one is they refused the word of God. Refusing the word of God was their first mistake. Jeremiah sought the Lord, he got the word of the Lord, and he said, here it is, and they just said, you're a liar. They refused the word of God. It's so sad to me to watch people do this um, because I see it all the time, by the way. We have, by the way, we have a selective memory. You know, we remember Egypt. Um, you know, Egypt, by the way, this, this, this idea of Egypt, can you think of other people who went down to Egypt? Well, there's an interesting story where like Abraham, remember Abraham after being there in the promised land, there was famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt. Every time you read that in the Bible, that was like not a great thing. You might say, well, Jesus went down to Egypt. He did, but because they were trying to kill him. And I believe there's a great type that Jesus went down to the world. That's what Jesus did. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus went to Egypt, uh, it's a great parallel. But Abraham, do you remember the story? He went down to Egypt and this is a funny one. You gotta check this video out also when you get to heaven. But apparently Sarah, who was like a major senior citizen, like in her late 80s, I guess she was still really hot. Because <laughs> Abraham's like, oh man, if I go to Egypt, Pharaoh's gonna see you, Sarah. And I know you're, you're, you're 85 or whatever, but man, just tell him you're my sister because they're gonna want you in the harem. Great husband. By the way, guys, freebie for you. Not a great thing. To, 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 don't follow Abraham's leadership there. So they go down to Egypt and like 10 seconds they get in there and the guy's like, do you see that lady? 
go tell Pharaoh. So they went and said, Pharaoh, there's this lady, you gotta have her in her hand. So before like they even get into town, Sarah's like getting all gussied up as a harem member. And Pharaoh's like, awesome, I'm ready to sleep with this girl. And then God says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you're a dead man. And Pharaoh's like, what did I do? I didn't do nothing. And the Lord says, you have taken another man's wife. Yeah, but she said he, she was his sister. And the Lord's kind of like, I don't care. You're still a dead man. So Pharaoh freaks out, turns Sarah back over, gives her back to Abraham and said, you have lied to me. What have you done? You've caused us trouble in our land. And, and so Pharaoh gives them a bunch of flocks and herds and all kinds of wealth. And, and, and then they, they send Abraham off free as a bird. Some of you guys are like, see, it worked. <laughs> Abraham's brilliant. <laughs> Well, did it work? Do you guys remember, not only did they get wealth and flocks and herds, they had another person join them in their entourage. Does anybody remember who joined them from Egypt? Hagar. A woman named Hagar. And there's a long story there, but basically Abraham slept with Hagar and had a son named Ishmael and his real son, Isaac and Ishmael. Well, did they get along? Because Ishmael is the father of the Arab nation <laughs> and Isaac is the father of the Jewish nation. And are the Jews and Arabs friends? they're still feuding horribly to this very day. It's like one of the biggest mistakes in the world's history. That all happened because Abraham went down to Egypt. Every time you read that in the Bible, going into the world, going down to Egypt is a bad idea. And I feel like Christians, we have this tendency, especially when fear is the motivating factor, what we end up doing is we refuse the word of God and we go down to the world for help instead of the word. I almost feel like Christians are listening more to Fauci than having faith. I feel like Christians are listening to World Health you know, Organization um, rather than just trusting in the word of God. Uh, you know, the CDC and all this stuff, I, I understand those are helpful agencies, maybe at times, sometimes, possibly, probably not. <laughs> but, but the word is true every single time. Every single time the word of God is true. And yet I see Christians refusing the word for harebrained ideas about fearful things. And it's not just the coronavirus, it's a lot of things that we get fearful about or anxious about. And we, we go to the world for help. Couples come into Athey Creek, oh, our marriage is in trouble. Well, as it turns out, good news, our pastors will share with you what the Bible says about marriage. Oh yeah, 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 I've already heard all that. You know, you gotta love your wife as Christ loved the church and wives reverence her husband and blah, 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 blah. And, and people diminish that like, yeah, but that's the word of God. Yeah, but shouldn't you give us some counseling? Like, where's your couch? I need to lay down and tell about my inner child wound that I've been dealing with. And, and Pastor Brett, you need to uh, uh, you know, get some pastors that have degrees in Freudian psychology because that seems true to us. Well, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but that's the way that leads to what? Death. Meanwhile, we got the truth of God's word. You know, it's amazing. Jesus did a lot of counseling but he never spent more than five minutes counseling any one person. He didn't have a couch. He just talked to people and said, here's what you need to do. And, and they either listened or they didn't. Remember the rich young ruler? He had a problem. He was into his wealth and full of greed. And, and he comes and says, Jesus, what do I need to do? And Jesus said, well, you know, you've done all these good things except for one thing. This is what you need. You need to sell all your possessions and give it to the poor because that's your problem. You have an issue there. Sell all your possessions, give them to the poor and follow me. The guy turned around and wept and walked away because he knew he wasn't willing to do the word of the Lord, Jesus himself. He wasn't willing to do it. So he knew he couldn't do it. 
Now, what I find interesting is Jesus didn't chase after him. Wait, Mr. Rich Young Ruler, what I said was true. I'm God, you should listen to me. No, Jesus said, here's what you need to do. But if you're not gonna do it, then you're gonna end up in trouble. That's the way the word works. The Bible sits here quietly, calmly telling us exactly what we need to do. But we're like the rich young ruler who refuses the word of God. And whenever you refuse the word of God, and why do we do that? You know, it's, it's amazing to me to refuse the word of God. We, we think it has to be more complicated somehow. So the couple that comes in and I say, yeah, you know, or one of my pastoral staff, they say, listen, husband, you gotta die to yourself, man. And love your wife as Christ loved the church. The Bible says that that means dying to yourself, giving up your thing and preferring your wife over yourself. And wife, you're supposed to see that you reverence your husband. That's what the Bible says. The word reverence, man, that's a strong word, but respect is the idea. And, and to really be kind to him and respect your husband, even if he is a jerk. And if you both do what the Bible says, your man's loving the wife as Christ loved the church, the wife's reverencing her husband, man, marriage is gonna go really well. And yet people just kind of say, oh yeah, it's not that simple, Brett. Well, that's the problem. They're saying to Jeremiah, well, it's not that simple, just staying here in Judah. What about Nebuchadnezzar? What about Nebuchadnezzar Adan? What about all the problems and the people that have died? We're going to Egypt, ah! And they run to Egypt. So couples go to counseling, the professional counselor, $170 a session until the insurance runs out. And 10 years later, they're back in our office saying, okay, our marriage is still in trouble. What do we do? Well, there's this little thing called love and respect. Let me tell you about it. And people diminish the word of God. And that's one of the reasons they refuse the word of God. What is it that the Lord has told you to do in the last part of your life? Things that you're supposed to be doing. It's the word of God. But you've just, for whatever reason, refused to do it. Ask yourself that. Don't think about Uncle Bob right now. Think about yourself. And, 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 and ask yourself, have I done it? Maybe some of you, when you were younger, the Lord told you, I want you to be in my word every single day. Get up a little early and read the Bible. And you might've done it for a season. Maybe you did it for a week or two, but then oh, you like sleeping in and you were tired because of work the, the day before and eh, it just kind of fell by the wayside. And you know the Lord told you to do that, but you've kind of refused to do it. Maybe it's a lifestyle change of who you hang out with. Maybe after work, you know, going to that bar with those people, it kind of puts you in a bad frame of mind when you get home. You're not really ready for seeing your wife and your kids and being the holy father that God has called you to be and lead your house in family devotions. But instead, you're, you're maybe a little tipsy and you've been hanging out with people you shouldn't been hanging and talking about stuff you shouldn't be talking. And somehow it comes out and your kids don't respect you and your wife wonders what's going on. I wonder if there's lifestyle changes that God showed you a long time ago that you're supposed to do it, but uh, you just kind of refused the word of God. We could go on and on, but you know, the good example comes from the Thessalonican church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul the apostle says, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, that's Paul preaching the word, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. In other words, the word is effective. It's the only thing that's really effective. But Paul says, I'm so thankful for you guys. I thank unceasingly for you guys because you heard the word from us, but you received it not as the word of men. See, that's what I hope. I hope that, you know, we cover enough scripture here at Athey Creek where you, you can say, well, Brett, you know, love him or hate him. At least he's telling us what the Bible says. 
See, I could care less if people get my opinions or the things that I think about. What I'm interested in is showing you guys, here's what the Bible says. And I'm so thankful for a church that's willing to do some hard work and read a couple chapters on a Sunday morning and say, you know, let's, let's consider these stories because you hear the word, not the word of bread or Athey Creek's doctrine, that doesn't matter. It's the, what, what does the Bible say? And you receive the word of God, which as it is in truth, the word of God, which, which what is it? It's effective. Man, I think that's so good. Churches need to get back to the book, back to the Bible, return to the word. So they refused the word, number one, that's mistake number one. But in refusing the word, number two mistake is they returned to the world, returning to the world. Man, when you refuse the word, that's usually what happens. We have this propensity to, to return to the world. And, and shouldn't the Jews be a little apprehensive going back to Egypt? Like I said, last time the Jews were in Egypt, how long were they there? 450 years as slaves with whips being slapped on their backs. Um, it's funny how we, we remember the good old days. Even when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, remember what the Jews said out in the desert? They said, oh, Moses, you brought us out here to die in the wilderness. We remember the onions, the leeks, and the melons that we did eat in Egypt freely. Oh, the good old days. Now, first of all, I have a problem with onions, leeks, and melons. Does that sound delicious? If they would have said burgers, pizza, and fries, I'd be like, I'm with you guys, man. But I don't get that. We remember the delicious onions and leeks and melons. And, and, and they were remembering that they did eat it freely. Were they free? No, they were enslaved. It's, it's, it's part of this, this um, memory that you and I have. We have a selective memory. And that's why sometimes you and I are tend, have that tendency to go back to our old Egypt days, our BC days, before we were Christians. Um, Maybe you remember those days, ah, oh, college, when we were partying, oh, those were so fun. You forget that you were not feeling so good the next morning and barfing in the toilet and wondering if you had an STD because you didn't really know who you remembered sleeping with the night before. It wasn't as fun as you remembered and the F that you got in the class because you couldn't think by the time you were in class. Like, like it's a funny thing how we remember the good old days. I, I have things like that that I remember. I remember my, oh, I wished I could have my old 1969 Toyota Land Cruiser FJ40. I loved that rig. It was awesome. And I really do. I sit around thinking, oh, I wish I could get, I should sell my Ford F-150 and get my FJ40 back, 1969. And, um, and then the, the other day, the Lord was reminding me, Pratt, you don't want that. You remember wrongly. I remember one night after a Wednesday night Bible study, I was younger, coming home from church on a stormy, rainy night. It was really heavy rain. And all of a sudden my Land Cruiser gave up the ghost and it died there in the middle of Medford, Oregon. And so, you know, being young and I couldn't afford a tow truck. So I just went out and opened the door and started pushing it in the rain. There I was at, you know, 11 o'clock at night, pushing in the rain and, and it, you know, the Land Cruiser is a heavy vehicle. It looks small like a Jeep, but it's actually like a tank, a lot of metal in the Land Cruiser. And I remember just pushing it and I was young and strong. So I, I was rolling it off, trying to get it off the highway. And then all of a sudden, my back went out. My back was out for two whole weeks, but I did get it off the highway. One time I remember I was driving home at night and all of a sudden poof, my throttle pedal just, just flapping in the wind like, and it wouldn't work. I realized my throttle cable had broken through the firewall. So what did I do? I got, grabbed the cable and 
re-put it through there. I had some tools in my in the back of my, I had to keep tools because you know, cruiser break down all the time. But I took some vice grips and I clamped onto the little thread of, of cable that was left and I stuck it through there. And so I drove home that night. And, and I got home and you know what's funny about that? You know when you're young and broke? I drove with the vice grips for three weeks. I got really good at it. It was, it was really cool, it was, it was awesome. Um, I remember taking my boss home from work one night. He said, Brett, can I get a ride home? And I'm like, sure. And he jumped in my Land Cruiser and he's kind of looking around and we, we, and I had forgotten about this. You know, you kind of just get used to the things that are wrong with your vehicle. But every time I'd go up a hill, my cab would fill with smoke. I kind of liked the smell. I thought it was like cologne, you know? I was like, I like that smell. Um, but my boss, he was sitting there and we're going up the hill and I'm just forgetting about, you know, and he's just, <coughs> you know, he was like choking and stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I've got this little problem. It's like an exhaust leak. And when I go up in the, you know, long story, I can tell you other stories, but the more I thought about it, I'm like, I really don't miss, I like my little heated seats in my F-150. And I like that I don't break down and, and all that stuff. You know, that's the way you and I are. We have fond memories of things that we truly do just forget. We're a forgetful bunch. It's like that old couple. They'd forgotten a lot of things and they were getting old enough. They were like, honey, we, we need to write stuff down. They agreed. One night the husband's like, honey, I could just go for a hot food Sunday with some chocolate and some, you know, uh, whipped cream and a cherry on top. And the, the lady said, oh, honey, I'll go get that for you. Well, shouldn't you write it down? Oh, I'm just gonna go do it right now. And so she goes in and quite a while later, she comes back and she serves him eggs, bacon, and sausage, and a glass of orange juice. And the guy's like, honey, I knew you should have written it down. You forgot the toast. <laughs> you and I are forgetful and, and that's the problem. When you return to the world, you're forgetting the bad parts. You're forgetting that the world is not a place you wanna be. And Satan will lure you and he'll tempt you, but that's the problem. These people, they were returning to the world, Egypt, thinking that it was gonna do them well, but it actually was gonna wipe them out. Um, really quick, I'm almost done, but problems with returning to the world, number one, you'll be bound up in sin. Bound up, Egypt type of bondage. Ask Samson, Samson sinned was going down to the Philistine country, the world, and they ended up binding him up, poking out his eyes and grinding at the will. That's what sin does. It blinds, it binds, it grinds. Ask Samson. Uh, but it'll not only bind you up, but problem with returning to the world, you'll be unable to hear the word. Remember last week, Mark's gospel, I told you, Mark 4, but also Matthew 13, same story, 22, where Jesus said that the word of God is choked out by the cares of this world. And then the third problem is Satan is called the prince of this world. Do you understand that? When we go to worldliness and take on world views rather than biblical views, man, we're taken up with the leader of this world that is Satan. John 16, 11, Jesus made that clear. And so this is the challenge before us. Are we gonna learn the lessons from the Jews in this story? The book of Jeremiah, if there's one thing we should go away with, we should know that if you refuse to listen to the, to the word of God, then oftentimes you're gonna to return to the world where it is unsafe and you should be afraid. 
But if you're a believer in God and trusting in the Lord, we have nothing to fear and we can put our trust in the Lord and we, we leave our lives in his capable hands and we can walk in peace and not in fear. And it's up to you and it's up to me to say, am I gonna choose the word of God or am I gonna go with the world? It's just that simple. It's a choice we have to make. Now, some of you may not even know the Lord personally. And, and um, here's the problem. You and I, we, remember I told you we all sin and I, I'd say we don't sin you know, monthly, we sin daily. That's why Paul said, I, Paul, am the chiefest of sinners. I do the things I don't wanna do and I don't do the things I do wanna do. That's all sin. And the wages of sin is death, Paul said in Romans, eternal death in hell, but the gift of God is eternal life in, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Man, if you believe in Jesus that, and you, you know, repent of your sins, acknowledge your sins before God. God, I'm a sinner and here's my sins that I've done and I leave them here and I accept that you came, lived among us, died on the cross and rose up from the grave. And if you believe that, the Bible says you will be saved. It's simple faith. And the Bible says you're saved by grace through faith. That means grace, undeserved, unearned favor. You're saved by grace through faith and not of your works. It is not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. This is the truth of what the Bible says. So I would ask you, if you've never accepted Christ, today's a great day to just say, okay, I, I, I repent of my sins and I believe in the cross of Christ. And then you can walk by faith rather than fear. I think that's the thing. In this season, I think that's a mantra that we should remember, faith over fear. When you're tempted to be afraid, when you watch the news and what's going on around the world, rather than being you know, shaken in your tennies, we should be people that are bold and faithful, trusting in the Lord. May the Lord give us ears to hear what the Spirit says in Jesus' name. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and with everybody's you know, attitude of prayer, if you're a Christian, be praying. But I wonder if there's a few of you who'd say, man, I need Christ. I am a sinner. I have blown it. I have fallen short, but I need to be saved. If that's you, I'd like to pray a prayer of confession of faith. Romans 10, nine, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, that God raised him up from the grave, you will be saved. If that's you, I'd love to pray a prayer with you right now. I'm not gonna embarrass you or make you stand up, uh, come down to the front, um, but I am gonna pray a prayer of confession that you can pray before God right now. And if that's you, would you acknowledge that? Uh, you know, just right now, just lift up your hand so I can see it and I'll acknowledge you. Let me just look around for a minute. And I'll just acknowledge anyone who might say yes this morning. Awesome, I see you over here to my left, that's great. Good, and you there, good, awesome. Anybody else, let me, let me just acknowledge you right over here, cool, and back over there, good. Good, good, and you, good. If you're online and you're watching and you're saying, Brad, I wanna raise my hand, you can. Let me know by, there's a little text number, text new believer right there. And I'll know, we won't track you or anything like that, but you're just letting us know, I'm out here and I'm gonna pray this prayer too, right now, let us know. Um, but I'm gonna pray this prayer. Would, would you as a church family, let's get behind these six or seven folks who are saying yes right now to Jesus. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins that he rose up from the grave and that I'm forgiven. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus Christ. 
And Lord, I pray that you'd bless these people who've just confessed you. I pray that you'd love them and show them and confirm to them so great a salvation that you've given to us, Lord, that they'd know their sins are forgiven, that they have the hope and the glory of heaven in front of them. And may they walk in faith, I pray. Bless them, I pray, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.